Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Wise. We're excited about today's show. We've got two kind of disparate, different uh, segments. The first one is with um, our folks from the ISM, Brad Holcomb, who's committee chair of the Manufacturing Report on Business, and uh, Anthony Nieves, who is the committee chair for the Non-Manufacturing Report on Business. They're talking about the December uh, forecast for 2017 and what's coming up and how the PMI is going to look and how various uh, segments within that PMI are going to look. So stay tuned for that. After that, we're going to talk with Eric uh, Treber. Uh, Eric has a very interesting story on uh, the technology that they use at that company. So I'm not going to give you too much information. I'm going to let you stay tuned for Eric. It's a great interview. You need to be with us. And let me slide over to Lou Weiss with the uh, post trip and the news and We'll go from there. Lou, how are you today? Uh, good. And uh, speaking about sliding, we do have some snow and ice out there here in New Jersey. <clears throat> a little yeah, bit of a surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, And it's cold. Uh, we actually turned the heat on in the office uh, today for the first time. I had a lot <laughs> of complaints. <clears throat> anyway, postscript. Uh, last week, uh, we did have ISM again, and we're having them again this week. Last week's was the manufacturing report on business and the non-manufacturing report on uh, business. And the uh, manufacturing uh, number, PMI number, was 53.2. I'm so excited. I can absolutely jump out of a window. I mean, it was so great. Uh, it's good to see that we're, we've come back over this four- or five-month dip but uh, it is uh, looking very, uh, very positive, and they go into uh, great depth in that. Also, we have uh, Chris Keel, PhD economist, of, uh, who's going to be giving us the November's credit manager report, which uh, supports um, uh, the ISM uh, report. Uh, Chris is also with uh, Armada Corporate Intelligence. He collects a lot of paychecks, and he should because he knows what he's talking about, and he's a very humorous, very funny guy. So uh, go back to Manufacturing Talk Radio, mfgtalkradio.com, and listen to last week's show. The news. The news, uh, well, all right, Donald Trump's president. That's it. Move on from there. Um <laughs> Tim and I have been talking for years now, and it seems as though that there is things that are happening in the marketplace, maybe as a result of some of what we're doing, and maybe because finally people are waking up and realizing that manufacturing is really, really is important, number one, and number two, that don't count on the feds to help manufacturing, even though it represents a third of the economy. So let me give you a couple of examples that uh, were in the news uh, as of recent. Virginia, the state of Virginia, Governor Terry uh, McAlfee uh, made a deal with uh, Pete's Coffee, who's also part of Caribou Coffee and Krispy Kreme Donuts, 
that's owned by J.A.B. Beach Holding Company, to open a craft company, a craft coffee company in Virginia, Suffolk, Virginia. And it's a 175,000-square-foot building, 135, uh, 135 new jobs. They invested uh, $58 million to be roasting a new brand of coffee here for the East Coast, like we need more coffee. Point being is that they are beginning to get it that they've got to go to areas. They've got to start new industries, start new manufacturing facilities in places where there's either high unemployment or or industries that have been lost for whatever and all of the reasons for it. So the states are working with um, the various uh, technical schools and uh, universities to help uh, promote these types of activities. Um, I might tip my hat to uh, Gov Terry. I think he's did a great job, and it's looking like this is beginning to start a trend. Uh, the, another another story uh, is that Clemson University and Greenville Technical College Center for Manufacturing and Innovation is giving students uh, from both schools hands-on experience at the modern assembly plant that they built before entering the workforce so that they can get a feel for uh, clean manufacturing and not dark, dirty, and dangerous and stay away from college debt. And you can make um, significant money once they get into the uh, workforce. Uh, matter of fact, I just passed a new road sign along Route 80. Now they have become a big electronic billboard, become a welder in six months. It was eight months. They've improved it. Six months and earned $65,000. And uh, that ain't hay. And it makes you're making a lot more money than becoming a social worker, graduating college, and having hundred, two hundred thousand dollar debt, and living with mommy and daddy. Uh, for any of the kids that are listening, which are probably not a lot, but the parents, college isn't the answer for everybody. Look into it. Do the research. There's a lot of opportunities out there. NJIT here in New Jersey, New Jersey uh, Institute of Technology, a phenomenal school, is teaching kids about manufacturing and uh, design and innovation and engineering and so on, that you don't have to spend that kind of money to get your kid educated. And it's also good for these career change people who have lost their jobs as a result of uh, an industry going south. Uh, not meaning Mexico, meaning south out of business. <laughs> <laughs> so look into these things. We also uh, uh, got a, a heads up on um, a gentleman uh, who saw a design for a 3D printed hand prosthesis, and he made it on his home 3D printer for $15, and he's now uh, looking to create a, a bigger, better version of it where you can make more than one in a day. But the technology is out there, and I think that this is, uh, again, another new industry now heading towards the medical area of our society. 
So there's a lot of great stuff out there. We, we all don't have to sit there and wring our hands and go, woe is me. Get on the Internet. It's a world of knowledge that you can take advantage of. Uh, our next week's uh, show, I uh, just wanted to let everybody know that we're going to have our global reporting segment from our international correspondents, uh, Roy Slow from France. Chong Wang from China, and Chad Mitre and Norbert Orr from the U.S. Uh, that seems to be one of our more popular shows, uh, and uh, you get a, a bird's-eye view of the world of economics and manufacturing. Uh, we, we speak the truth. Others may not. Tim? Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're here with Brad Holcomb, who's the committee chair for the Manufacturing Report on Business, and Anthony Nieves, who's the committee chair for the Non-Manufacturing Report on Business. They're doing a special report that they do every December. They release it in early to mid-December, and they talk about the ISM economic growth and forecast for 2017. Brad, welcome to the show. Thank you once again. It's great to be with you to talk about next year. Tony, thanks for joining yeah, us which again. we're ready to talk about next year. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Brad, let's, and I guess what we'd like to do is have uh, Brad, uh, as you have presented this, uh, you and Anthony many times at uh, ISM conferences, uh, just let the two of you go back and forth, and Lou and I will pop questions in as we see the opportunity to do that. Um but, Brad, why don't you go ahead and kick us off on what manufacturing looks like for 2017. Good. Let me briefly talk about some key points in our manufacturing summary uh, outlook for 2017, and then I'll turn it over to, to Tony for corresponding commentary on non-manufacturing summary, and we'll go back and forth a little bit more as well as we go along. So okay, I, un I understand. I understand, Brad, that uh, because of your tight schedule, we have basically about 30 minutes to go over uh, a, a lot of information. So, uh, if anybody wants to be a chatty Kathy, next time <laughs> we'll we'll be fine. Good, we'll be fine. Okay. Let's start with the expectation uh, for manufacturing revenue increases for 2017. And that number is 4.6%, uh, which is a good healthy number um, in any case, but uh, also in particular when you compare that with the 2016 number that's now being reported for uh, the year that's almost passed, a 0.9% increase. So from 0.9% increase this year to 4.6% next year, uh, is certainly a good indicator of how our panel feels about the year ahead. Now, some of the other details. Uh, let's touch on uh, let's touch on manufacturing employment, uh, the cost of labor and benefits, and prices of raw materials, which are all key factors that people are interested in, and uh, also relate to the uh, opportunity for profit margin uh, improvement to make our companies uh, healthier as we go forward. So the prices of raw materials are expected to increase a modest 1.3%. Uh, 
and labor and benefits costs are expected to increase a fairly typical 2.5% in 2017, and employment is expected to increase uh, a modest 0.6% in 2017. So if, if you look at, at those numbers and expectations against the 4.6% uh, revenue increase expectation, then we see that profit margins uh, will be healthy, uh, which makes our companies healthy. And as the year goes along, you know, we'll continue to monitor this on a month-by-month -month basis, and uh, things could certainly you know, move around uh, one way or the other. And one of those indexes that could move uh, it relates to capital expenditures. Capital expenditures increased this current year, 2016, 7.3%. But the expectation for, for next year, uh, let me call it the initial forecast, would be an increase of only 0.2% increase in 2017, uh, which, as I alluded to, could potentially increase uh, if, uh, if the year continues well and the chief financial officers open up the purse strings to, um, to approve more projects. So Brad, the bottom me, line I, is a good, healthy year. Yes. Brad, can let me just throw a quick question in there because uh, there is a, a mix of positive and negative there. Um, everyone's beginning to talk about 2017 as a, as a uh, potentially good year, and yet, you know, one of the points you just pointed out was that the growth is not really that going to be that great for next year. Well, the growth at 4.6 percent uh, is, you know, it is what it is. And if you look at at this year, which we all thought would be a, you know, a pretty good year, turned out to be Quite honestly, so-so. If you if you use the revenue increase of 0.9 percent uh, to to sort of gauge that comment, so I think everything is relative. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, in this in this post-recession era where it's become you know quite quite variable and and relatively more difficult to to forecast, and and now we throw in uh, you know the presidential election and result in which, you know, it opens up, you know, new questions about, you know, where where we're going and, and this issue and that issue. Do you think but that's our, a, our, do you think that's a main issue going to be a main issue coming the new year with the new uh, administration and new philosophies? Well look this this is a data based um, forecast and mm -hmm. we're looking at we're looking at order books, and we're talking with CFOs and operations uh, directors and, and so on to get their best judgment based on what they're seeing uh, in their companies. And all of this lacks any political commentary uh, at all. Mm. Whereas on a monthly basis when we report, we have some verbatim comments which often are more forward-looking. In this case, we don't have verbatim comments, uh, and so we don't have right. any commentary yep. whatsoever. Is okay. you know we have numbers. Un understood. Okay. 
So moving forward, Tony? Well, when you look at uh, non-manufacturing uh, and, you know, the question of, uh, let me start off with revenue, uh, it's expected to rise 4.1% in 2017, and that is a good number. Uh, it's it's off a little bit from the uh, what Brad has forecasted from manufacturing, mm -hmm. but uh, it's a good number, especially relative to 2016, 2.7%. And if we look back in past years, we've always been around that 2-3% mark. It's been that slow incremental growth uh, that we've seen in the non-manufacturing sector. And this does, uh, I feel, project uh, a bit of more confidence and uh, expectation for the non-manufacturing sector. And when you look at um, things of, uh, you know, where the operating rate is at a strong capacity, 85.2%, um, and they're forecasting a 3% increase in 2017. So there's been the whole of really trying to maximize, um, you know, available resources and not adding any fat into the equation. Uh, the one uh, drawback has been the capital expenditures, keeping in mind that uh, capital expenditures uh, increased 10.6% in 2016, and that's that's a big number. It's uh, it's better than expectations that we've had in the past, um, and it, it's uh, you know really when you look at it year over year, there has to be a little bit of waning. So it's expected to decrease by 0.2% in 2017, and that could potentially be a moving target, uh, not to um, doubt the forecast or the prediction by our respondents. But again, if companies do better than expected, we could see uh, maybe some more reinvestment. But you don't need to reinvest on the same thing year over year when you're doing some capital reinvestment as well. Uh, labor and benefit costs are expected to increase. That's pretty much in line uh, what we've had in past years, you know, 2.5 percent. And uh, when we look at the overall outlook of what our respondents are telling us, uh, especially going to the diffusion index, and you say that 88% are predicting that 2017 will be the same or better than 2016. Uh, to speak further about, you know, confidence level, and you know, as Brad mentioned, that you know, in the monthly we see more verbatim comments in regards to uh, geopolitical conditions. And I can say that there was, you know, a great deal of noise going into the election, but as indicated in our November uh, release, and we we'll, might see some more uh, in December, but uh, there was minimal comments in regards to uh, political results and whatnot and what the overall effect had been. Uh, so we'll have to just wait and see how that pans out. But in... in you know, more than anything else, it just seems that 2017 overall is projected to be a, a very good year for the non-manufacturing sector. Brad, for the top page of this report, you've got capacity utilization numbers, and I'm just wondering if you would share those with our listeners and give them some kind of a feel for what that number means in terms of when does it begin to impact, in other words, be too high, that they have right. to make some capital investment. Go ahead, Brad. Right. Yes, our operating rate uh, is currently at 81.9%, and when we get to 85%, uh, that that generally is uh, considered uh, tight enough. It allows 15% for 
planned and unplanned shutdowns of equipments and plants and, and unknowns. So we're below the 85% that says we've got room to grow without adding capacity. But in addition, uh, we expect uh, that capacity will be increased by 4.2% in 2017, you know, further opening up and planning ahead for uh, more, more revenue and more volume. And that you, one can imply that that is going to be due to productivity increases when we talk about product production capacity. Uh, versus uh, capital expenditures at this point. So Anthony, bottom line about, there is, is room to grow. Okay. And Anthony, how about uh, non-manufacturing? Does that also have that 85% uh, uh, lid on it, if you will, before you become concerned, or is it a, a different number for non-manufacturing? Uh, it's a similar number. And you look at it, you know, 85.2%, it's a uh, it's a little bit off of what we've had in the past, but not by much. And it definitely, uh, you see more in line with the uh, employment uh, projection of uh, you know 1.2% uh, for 2017, and versus we had some contraction in 2016, where um, you know we had a few months of contraction. So it was uh, actually a, a less than it was a decrease of 0.2%. Uh, for 2016. So, again, uh, being the more labor-intensive sector, um, you see how the correlation is, and it goes hand in hand. Uh, so, there, there's still some room for capacity improvement, as, as the you know the expected increase of three percent. But um, you know, 85.2 percent is a very uh, effective overall operational effectiveness is uh, is evident with that with that operating rate. Yeah, clearly it's looking uh, very strong. How about prices, Brad, going into 2017? What's the feel for prices? Um, prices of raw materials and, and inputs into manufacturing are expected to increase 1.3% uh, in 2017. So a, a fairly modest uh, increase, and uh, in particular when you compare that with a 0.4% decrease in prices, that we've experienced so far overall in 2016. And how does uh, that look? Uh, go ahead, Luke. I'm just, uh, you know, for the sake of our, our listeners, uh, uh, your 20-page 20, 20 report uh, is visible on the Institute of Supply Management uh, website. Uh, as well as on uh, manufacturing talk radio, mfgtalkradio.com. Uh, and there's one point to, to oversimplify. Uh, many of your respondents, uh, you have a, a, the survey, you open up the survey with the um, expectations of uh, uh, your survey respondents. And manufacturing survey indicates a positive uh, a percentage of 67% for manufacturing and 57% for non-manufacturing. To me, those are pretty good numbers going into the new year in terms of your uh, survey respondents' expectations of uh, revenues. So I think that's really pretty good, and I just wanted to squeeze that point in 
uh, so that there's a full understanding of everything that's in your report and everything that you've been talking about. So I just wanted to get that point out. And Tim, back to you. Yeah, I do want to remind everybody that this uh, this is a fabulous report, 21 pages of real condensed information. I'm sure there's a mountain of information behind it. It is available at the Institute for Supply Management dot org. So uh, don't miss it. It just came out today. And um, Brad, let's go back to you know prices are doing okay. I just want to touch for a moment on uh, some of the other sections within this report. So why don't you and Tony grab one and go with it. Brad, go ahead. Well, one that we haven't talked about uh, yet, I believe, is labor and benefits costs. Uh, we expect those to increase two and a half percentage points in 2017. Uh, and just to repeat, the prices of raw materials uh, uh, increase 1.3%. And those two components, labor and benefits and raw materials, comprise uh, you know, a very high percentage of cost of manufactured goods. And if you look uh, once again at the revenue expectation of 4.6% increase, then we see that we've, we're, we're going to have some you know, room for, for good margins, uh, which makes for healthy companies, which is good for manufacturing, good for, good for everyone. Um, also on, you know, employment, uh, the 0.6% increase that we expect in 2017 is reflective of uh, strong employment uh, at the current time, not just in manufacturing, but more broadly. There is some tightness in uh, being able to, to find certain skills. We've reported on that, uh, you know, on a monthly basis. Uh, so we've got, uh, we've got uh, those factors lining up again to, uh, to predict a, a, a pretty good year. We're voting for that. Yes, clearly. Uh, how, how does it look on the non-manufacturing side, Anthony? Well, when you look at um, touching on the same uh, areas that Brad just touched upon, with prices uh, paid increasing 0.6% in 2016, and that just really tells you that the supply management professionals and others that are managing costs in their respective companies, respective industries that comprise non-manufacturing, uh, it's really been a whole uh, mindset. And most costs and prices uh, that we experienced increases across the board uh, in this sector had to do with uh, mostly uh, fuel and fuel-related, uh, some commodity, uh, food commodities, um, and some areas, uh, some metal areas as we saw in manufacturing as well. And uh, skilled skilled labor, as uh, Brad touched on, uh, has also been uh, an area that carries over into the employment arena. Um, you know, I had mentioned that this is a labor-intensive um, uh, sector, um, and we had a little bit of contraction, as, as I mentioned earlier, in, in, in the course of the year, but still with a forecast or a prediction that uh, we'll see employment, uh, you know, increase 1.2% in 2017. Uh, doesn't seem like a very large number, but it is uh, considering where uh, the employment uh, index has been uh, over the course of the uh, past few years, where we've seen steady, uh, steady growth, uh, incremental growth, with only a few hiccups here and there. Uh, 
and it's just the tightening labor market where you know just as Brad mentioned with certain skilled skilled set especially in the construction arena but um you know things are uh, looking good for the sector overall and um uh, you know the labor and benefit costs at 2.5% is similar to what we're seeing in manufacturing uh so the cost uh, equation looks pretty good profit margins also will be uh uh, quite well for uh, for the non-manufacturing sector. What are so the areas all... that I was going to go out and celebrate? I'm done with the show today. Let's go celebrate. You know, <laughs> next year, I'm looking for a good year. Good. We're all looking uh, for you know, a good continuing on on the on the positives for for manufacturing. You know, we expect both imports and exports to grow in 2017, um, and then. Let's let's segue to some special questions by talking about uh, our, one of our last points in the summary, and that is the U.S. dollar is expected to strengthen versus all major trading partner currencies in 2017, and that was also true last year. Um, but in terms of the impact, uh, we can turn to you know four special questions and how our panel responded uh, to those, if we could. Um, sure, please. The, the, fir the, the first question uh, was specifically, what was the net impact on their organization's profits for the year 2016 thus far, in other words, through the first 11 months, related to the strength of the U.S. dollar? And uh, what we found is that, you know, only 17.8% said it was a negative impact. Negligible was 52.6%. Positive impact, 11.3%. And unsure, 18.3%. So in summary, if you put this all together, it suggests that uh, the high price of the dollar was more likely to be inconsequential you know, rather than positive. Uh, and the reason, the reason that this is essentially neutral is that we both import and export. And when we export uh, prices of, of the dollar, when they're higher, you know, would tend to, to depress our exports of finished good because they cost more to our uh, global customers. However, the other side of the yin-yang is that we import a lot of raw materials and sub-assemblies as inputs to manufacture, and that uh, is, is, is a benefit when the dollar is, is high. So uh, that's, uh, I think, very interesting to some people that only see headlines which, which uh, imply a, a, a deleterious effect of, of a high U.S. dollar. Uh, not not necessarily the case for manufacturing. The, the second question is related to the continuing depressed oil prices and related commodities prices in 2016. And our panel in manufacturing uh, said that, you know, that was negative 19.6% of our responses and negligible 22.4, but positive to 48.6%, which is a big number, and unsure 9.3%. So overall, 70% felt that the depressed prices 
did not have a negative impact on their business. And uh, so that's, uh, I think, very interesting uh, when you look at it. Of course, there is a negative effect on one of our industries, which we which we embrace as as uh, petroleum and coal products, but the rest uh, see you know multiple benefits in general. Uh, right. Our third question, just to sort of round out this discussion of of oil and, and dollar, uh, it asks about the combined impact of those two situations. And once again, nearly 65% of our panel felt that these combined factors of a high price of the dollar and depressed oil and related prices did not have a negative effect on their businesses. Okay. Well, uh, Brad, I'm, let me, I'm sorry, I meant uh, Anthony. Anthony, let's, I know you guys are pressed for time and we're getting uh, right to the end of here. Let me have you wrap this up, Anthony. Uh, the report as, as best you can, realizing there's 21 pages of information here that people should go and download and read themselves for, for more clarity and insight. Anthony, how do you see 2017 from the ISM's point of view? I think that 2017, uh, the outlook, just as uh, is contained or listed with the diffusion index at 69, is up over 67%, which was predicted uh, for 2016. 2017 is uh, going to be a good year uh, from what our respondents are telling us. Uh, business revenues are up. Um, you know, prices paid are being contained. Uh, operation uh, efficiency is there. Uh, so when you look at it in the aggregate, uh, 2017 is going to be a good year for the non-manufacturing sector. Uh, you're looking at uh, capital reinvestment being flat, but uh, you know decreasing a little bit, but coming from a very high level. Um, exports will increase. There'll be import growth. So overall, um, you know, non-manufacturing, um, uh, as uh, Lou mentioned earlier, the respondents, uh, the majority of them feel that uh, uh, the outlook looks good. Great. Well, thank you, Brad and Tony. I know you guys are on a tight schedule. We'll let you go. Thanks for being on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you very much. Our pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you for being on with us. Thank you. Bye-bye. And we've been talking with Brad Holtham, who's the committee chair of the ISM's Manufacturing Report on Business, and Anthony Nieves, who is the committee chair for the Non-Manufacturing Report on Business. And it looks like, uh, Lou, we don't have to go up to the fourth floor and jump off. Sounds like a pretty no, good report. I, I would probably survive anyway. But I think it might be nice to go on the roof tonight with the full moon or maybe a full moon and uh, nice cool air and pop open a bottle of champagne and do New Year's Eve tonight. This is, sound, this is sounding extremely encouraging. Uh, I think that we need, uh, as far as All Metals and Forge Group is concerned, I think I need to send them a copy of this report as a Christmas gift. Uh, in case they're not listening, they should tune into this. So, because there are a lot of people out there who are be, being misled and misinformed by, uh, again, I don't mean to trash anybody, but I'll do it. Uh, main, mainstream uh, media is, uh, you know, doing the bleeding and leading role. They're not talking about the good news. And uh, I think that we need to start getting 
people feeling good about themselves, feeling good about the country, feeling good about their businesses, and uh, start uh, drinking less and work harder. Yeah, I would agree that the mainstream media does tend to, pro to promote and present the negative news stories. Uh, we do just the opposite. They want to uh, entrap somebody into a gotcha question. We never want to do that. We want to help the industry by getting great information out there, and this report certainly is very strong and very positive. By the way, I just wanted to point out to the uh, audience that in case they don't know, that uh, the ISM and uh, Brad Holcomb in particular and to uh, Anthony Nieves uh, in many ways as, as well has been with us as regular uh, individuals on our show putting out uh, really great information. And uh, hopefully we're getting out as much information to our market as they get out to theirs because it's really valuable and it's important that – People understand what's going on outside of their four business walls, and you don't always get it. And uh, Brad does it, and uh, Anthony does it, and Chris Kuehl, who we, have, who we also have on a regular basis, Norbert Orr, who's another economist who's been on our show many, many times. Uh, and they all have slightly – well, they're economists, and, and uh, ISM, they're uh, – uh, what are they? They report what they what was. Economists report what may be, maybe, unless, as Chris right. would say. So, right. uh, but I, I think I think it's important, and uh, I, I hope that our listeners are appreciating it and coming to the website to uh, pick up your copy and print it out. Uh, it's uh, dry reading, but it's good dry reading. Yes, great information. I do want to point out to our listeners that Manufacturing Talk Radio is now entering its fourth broadcast year. We actually did our uh, third year conclusion on November 4. That was when we started back in 2013, so we're entering our fourth broadcast year. We have, uh, well, by the time we get to mid-year, we'll have over 200 shows at Manufacturing Talk Radio, all stored in a podcast library that you can go back and listen to. Uh, those shows continue to be downloaded. We're always impressed when somebody goes back to the very first show in 2013 and downloads that show. So they're really using it as a library of information. So over 400,000 downloads have occurred of our shows over the last three years. A lot of great content there, I Frankly, I think Brad Holcomb he's in competition with himself and he goes in there and he keeps clicking the button. He wants to be one of the <laughs> highest listened to shows on uh, manufacturing talk radio. So there's no doubt that he is because he's on yeah. every month, the first of the month and does a great show with us. And we'd like to get Tony on as often as we can. Tony's report comes out uh, four or five days later after the manufacturing report on business. And since we're manufacturing talk radio, we tend to talk manufacturing a bit more than non-manufacturing. However, however, manufacturing and non-manufacturing, as you and I have learned over the last three years, and have put out to the uh, our, our masses, uh, that they're very closely related. Matter of fact, there are two industry sectors that are definitely, in my opinion, manufacturing, but yet they are in the non-manufacturing report, and that's mining and uh, something else. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's oil and uh, gas trucks. 
Is, is, oh, that's right. That's right. And uh, but that's very related to manufacturing, and those are two very big uh, components of these reports. So yeah, they're they're a very large component of a non-manufacturing report. And if you actually move those over to the manufacturing report, you know, we Lou and I talk about the size of manufacturing. Uh, you'll read in the in the national press that it's 11 percent, and what they're really measuring is on the production floor the employees and what happens on the production floor. They're not measuring upstream of that up to the C-suite. They're not measuring downstream of that. So that's why you hear a report that manufacturing is only 11, 12% of the economy. We don't believe it's accurate. Uh, Maypi, who's also been on our show many times with Stephen Gold, he's the president over there, and Cliff Waldman's been on the show and uh, some of the other folks, uh, talk about that number being in the 30s. Close to 31% of the total economy is manufacturing. So that's why we're very excited here at Manufacturing Talk Radio. We think it's a bigger piece of the pie than the mainstream media would let you know, in our opinion, Lou, right? Yeah, we're, we're out there to tell you the whole, the whole story. Uh, not sound bites, but the whole story. So that being uh, being said, I, I think we're just about uh, out of time today and uh, look forward to having everybody back again uh, next Tuesday at uh, 1 p.m. Yes, and we're going to now take a, a quick commercial break, and then we'll be back with the second half of our show on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment, components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials? 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We are here speaking with Eric Treiber, President and Chief Executive Officer of Chicago White Metal Casting, a 72-year-old company and recognized innovative leader specializing in custom production of high-tech aluminum, magnesium, and zinc die cast components. In our manufacturer spotlight today, Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks We're for joining excited us. We're excited because it's not just uh, Chicago white metal that we're going to be talking about, but some of the other subjects as well. But we would like you to share with our listeners, what is Chicago white metal casting and what does it do? And we'll also get you to give us your URL so that they can 
know where you are and how they can find you. Eric, what is Chicago White Metal Casting, and what does it do? Uh, well, Tim, Chicago White Metal Casting is a manufacturer of zinc, aluminum, and magnesium die-cast components uh, for a wide variety of uh, industries, uh, automotive, medical, dental, instrumentation, uh, many, many industries. And we've uh, been around uh, since 1937, which is when my grandfather founded the company uh, in Chicago. We're currently located in Bensonville, just west of O'Hare Airport. Uh, we employ just over 300 people, and we operate out of a 125,000-square-foot facility. We ship our die-cast components all across the world. And I would say that our niche in the industry, what we're known for, is taking on more challenging applications and oftentimes those that require uh, significant amounts of what we call value-added services. So after we cast and trim the die castings, uh, we might do additional things such as machining or painting or powder coating or plating or even assembly uh, to them so that we can supply a turnkey product to our customers. Uh, just as a uh, aside, uh, Eric, with regards to your die casting, do you see or do you have presently any applications where you're utilizing uh, 3D printing in your operation? You know, for either well, prototyping or uh, small small runs. Absolutely, uh, Lou. Uh, we use we we have two 3D printers in house, and we use them on every new program that we are awarded where we'll actually make a 3D sample and we'll use it as a uh, something you can touch and feel uh, and, and work with our associates internally uh, when, when a CAD model or a blueprint just doesn't fit and you're trying to visualize uh, that part and how we're going to produce it and where we're going to inject the metal into or how, how they might fixture it during a CNC machining operation, things like that. In addition, we actually use our 3D printers to build some fixturing that we might use in a quality assurance setting to do uh, dimensional inspections or in an assembly uh, operation where we might need to hold the part to install some other components once we actually get into production. So 3D printing is very much part of our operation. So you're, you're actually using it in, within your operation to produce the end, uh, produce machinery that can produce the final product as opposed to the 3D printing being the final product? Yeah, um, there structural have been 3D. some limited applications so far with 3D printing to actually produce a steel uh, cavity or insert that would be used um, in the actual mold-making uh, process while we cast the parts. Uh, we've had some limited success with that. I think we're still a few years off to where... Um, 3D printers can, can, out of, let's say, H13 cooling steel, make an insert that we can then set into a mold and actually then cast parts out of it. But we're not mm -hmm. that far away yet. It's, uh, the technology comes quick. Somebody's yes. inventing it as we speak. I believe you. <laughs> okay. Uh, Tim? Eric, one of the questions that we often uh, are faced with and we hear the issue, we're not quite sure if it's a real issue, is it a red herring issue, and that is finding skilled labor. Is it a challenge for Chicago White Metal to find skilled labor in this day and age? 
Well, Tim, that's a very interesting question, and I think that we have a different spin on it. I will first answer your question by saying yes. It, it is certainly a challenge in key areas of our company, and I think this, this uh, goes across several uh, manufacturing disciplines, and these would be areas of like skilled uh, maintenance technicians, skilled quality assurance people, skilled tool makers. These are areas that you can really look to that it's, it's difficult to find people because there are no universities, for the most part, teaching these types of skills. They've, they've been acquired skills over decades, journeyman tool makers, et cetera. And when there was a large downturn in, in manufacturing seven, eight, ten years ago, even over the last you know, 15 years, a lot of these people left manufacturing and, and pursued other uh, options for their, for their careers. So now we're left with manufacturing getting stronger again, and it certainly is, and where are we going to find these people? So it's very difficult to um, pick up a guy off the street that understands uh, electrical and hydraulics and pneumatics and things like that that he can fix die-casting machines. You acquire the, that knowledge over years. So, so how do you do that? Well, you can reach out to vocational uh, institutions. Um, there are technical colleges and things. What we've chosen to do is... I think that a lot of companies put the onus on the government to say you've, you've got to, you know, you've got to bridge the gap with skills and training. I think it's ourselves, the manufacturers, that have to do that, and I think it's a cop out for to, to put that burden on the government. We've got to solve it on our own, and that's what we do by establishing relationships. For example, with uh, a local college here in the Chicago area called Harper College that has a manufacturing program, and they're bringing people through their program and that's focused on manufacturing, that are acquiring the skills that we need. We have a relationship with a local high school where uh, even on manufacturing day, um, they have an engineering program and those students came through our facility and learned about what we're doing and saw our 3D printers and saw our robots operating. And uh, we were just, we were at their facility, at their uh, high school yesterday, uh, presenting them with two checks for their engineering lab for a brand new 3D printer and a brand new laser cutter. So. We're uh, establishing relationships with local educational institutions so that we can help them uh, uh, with their students' education and we can also uh, you know, put ourselves in front of them so they know that we're here in Bensonville and we might be looked upon as a, a future for them, for those students. Uh, Eric, uh, everything you just stated is uh, basically the opinion of uh, Tim Grady and myself in that um, and I'll, I'll put it probably not quite as nice as you did. Don't try, don't try and rely on the government because they ain't there to help you. So what we have found, and, and you're right, is that we have to do it from where we are. And uh, the schools are changing, the high schools are changing. These uh, uh, we, we've gotten quite close with NJIT, New Jersey Institute of Technology. Uh, we do a couple of functions with them. Uh, we've been doing a couple lately, more than we had been, uh, where we're there filming. And so, actually, it's right up on our website right now. So I'm going to plug myself uh, at mfgtalkradio.com. Uh, there were nine speeches and seven or eight one-on-one -on -one interviews with uh, some high-level people that talk about the issues that we're talking about right now. And uh, you're right. Don't rely on the government. 
because it's not they're not there to help you. I think the governors in various states have been very cooperative in this area, and you probably know more about that uh, than I do. Have, have you been at all close to any of the um, uh, state government officials to help uh, with these programs? Um, Lou, not so much at the state level. Uh, our in, although we do have strong involvement uh, in the political arena, and that is mostly as a result of a very strong industry association that we're a member of. So the diecasting industry has an association called the North American Diecasting Association, and uh, we're all members. Most of the diecasters are members in there, and they have a, a branch uh, called Government Affairs uh, Branch, and um, they keep us very in tune with... Uh, things that are happening in Washington that might affect our industry. That could be regulations. It could be labor issues. It, uh, it can span any, any number of topics. And each year uh, we go to Washington as a group and we meet on Capitol Hill with our uh, congressional leaders. And uh, uh, that has proved very beneficial for ourselves and many other diecasting companies who do it. And, and other industries do this as well. But mm-hmm. we've been able to establish very strong relationships with our congressmen who who represent our districts. We've never really had great luck with the senators. They, their their mm-hmm. scope is too big for us. But uh, going back to the days of Henry Hyde and uh, Congressman Peter Roskam, Congresswoman Tammy Duckworth, um, they have been uh, representing us in Washington, and, and they know us uh, and knew us by name, and we've been able to share with them uh, issues that are important to our industry. We've invited them to our facilities, I think, Combined between those individuals, they've probably been here ten times. Congressman Peter Roskam probably four or five times on his own, and I've seen him in Washington many times. And we do have an open dialogue with them, and we are able to talk about issues that uh, negatively and positively affect our industry and ask them candidly, you know, what's happening in Washington to to help us. The truth of the matter in many cases, though, is it's, as you kind of talked on the education side of things, it's a, it's a very slow bus moving, and yeah, uh, sure. it, it takes it takes time for these things to evolve. Uh, maybe we'll see a little bit faster uh, movement here in the next few years uh, under well, a, a different administration. Well, I'll give you a, a uh, idea or suggestion, not to go into details now, but uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio is available to get involved in some of these things uh, with your your company and or, or your organization, uh, we do have uh, developed quite a following and quite a voice, uh, and we have participated in some events like this, and uh, we'd like to uh, join in for that. Excellent, thank you. So keep that in mind and put it in your under your pillow. I'm sure will. Eric, uh, does your company export at all, or are most of your customers domestic? Tim, we do export quite a bit. I would say we're around 25 to 30 percent uh, exporting our products, and uh, this includes Canada, Mexico, Europe, and actually quite a bit to the Far East, uh, which might seem counterintuitive, but a lot of our customers uh, have, have done what uh, we see many companies do, which is they've established manufacturing or assembly facilities uh, in uh, low-cost regions, um, China, Taiwan, et cetera. And so we take it as a feather in our cap that 
while they have located their assembly operations in China, let's say, they still require that the die castings come from Chicago White Metal, and they've not elected to uh, source them in China. Um, there is always that concern that at some point in time they may say, you know, geez, that thing we're paying a dollar for we could get for 60 cents or 50 cents. Uh, but we've been we've been uh, pretty pretty uh, lucky over the past few years that we haven't seen much of that. Do you use any government agencies, the Commerce Department, the XM Bank, any of those entities to help you with export? You know, we do not. Uh, we hear a lot about uh, XM Bank, for example, and how important it is. But our customers handle all of the you know exporting and, and all those types of details and and they they pay us in US dollars and what have you and that's the way we're set up so we're really on the sidelines when it comes to to those topics okay I was just curious whether whether or not because we we talk quite a bit about the XM bank and where it kind mm -hmm. of is stuck in limbo at the moment and we're trying right. to uh, help nudge it out of that position. Yeah. Um, we're big proponents of export. And it's interesting that you say, and we're not surprised to hear, that uh, assembly facilities may have gone offshore, but they're still looking for quality parts, and those quality parts come from the good old U.S. of A. Uh, very important. Yes, we agree. Um, Eric, as you look into 2017, you know, we were just speaking with the ISM yesterday about the forecast for 2017 and what it looks like overall for the year. Uh, what does it look like from your perspective? Good year, soft year? Uh, what kind of year are you looking forward to? Uh, first off, our window for being able to see out that far has drastically diminished in the past eight to ten years. Uh, mainly due to our customers' inabilities to forecast out that far, other than the automotive industry. They do have that ability to to see out and, and give solid forecasts. Many of the other customers do not. That said, uh, I, I feel that 2017 will be consistent uh, in that 2016, for the most part, was consistent, some moderate growth. I don't uh, anticipate we don't anticipate any any great breakthroughs in growth, and we also don't anticipate any any significant downturns. So just a a good continue up up the road type of year. Well, you've made an interesting statement, and that is that you have lost the ability, and your customers have lost the ability to see out that far. What what's been the change over the last eight or nine years that has you know reduced that window to weeks or months? instead of quarters or a year? Well, Tim, that's a very good question. I, I, I think there's a number of reasons. Uh, one of them is, is oftentimes uncertainty in the economy. Uh, you know, we, mm -hmm. talk, uh, we talk about, uh, you know, they keep kicking the can down the road as far as the R&D tax credits, things like that. Uh, so uh, companies are, are, are often uh, not willing to commit themselves to maybe its capital equipment, et cetera. I also think that product life cycles have, have shortened so much that uh, it's difficult. You know, what you're making today is not what you're going to be making, you know, six months from now or 12 months from now. So um, that's make, made it difficult to uh, anticipate future demand 
so you know it's and it's not unique to any one or two industries. It's for the most part, other than automotive, as I said, um, our, our clients uh, are, are much more challenged to tell us where their business is going to be a year from now. They can tell us where it's going to be in about the next 60 days, and beyond that, it's it's all a big crystal ball. Uh, we have in our uh, All Metals and Forge group uh, one of the products that we supply, the industries that we supply products into is the uh, fracking industry. And, of mm-hmm. course, that's about as volatile as uh, bouncing a tennis ball on the, on the ground. Um, however, we feel as though things have picked up there, but the quantities that the customers are buying, they were no longer buying the uh, 300 units, 400 units, and so on. Now they're buying 25 and 50 units. They they have the orders, but they don't want to commit to, as you said, they don't, they can't see that far down the road. Right. And and they want the same price for the 25 to 50 piece units uh, <laughs> right. for as the 400 because they say, well, it's your job. I'm just going to give it to you in pieces. Well, we have to make them in pieces also, and therefore it's more costly. Uh, they, that they don't want to hear about. And we haven't won that war a lot, by the way, recently. Well, yes, because, Lou, we see that as well. Yeah, sure. I mean, you're a metal guy. Uh, you know, you're basically you're, uh, you're like the, the industrial version of the milkman. If you don't like that milkman, go get another one. They're a dime a dozen. A casting house... I recognize differences in quality and so on. Uh, casting house to another person, one of your clients, you're another casting house. There's a lot of you guys out there. So well, and, and I, to some extent, Lou, that's true, although the the really challenging economic times over the past 10 to 15 years have uh, resulted in a vastly reduced population in the die casting industry, specifically in North America, and I'm sure it's the same I, for many other things. So. I would think but, so. But as an example, 10 to 15 years ago, there there was somewhere around three or four thousand die casting companies uh, in North America. Now that number is, we're told, somewhere around 1,500. And if you really want to talk about those who are recognized, and now you're in in the hundreds, maybe six or seven hundred. Yeah, um, so. Yeah. So while it, it, it used to be a commodity, uh, I, I think that uh, there's so few of us out there um, that there is enough business for all of us to remain mm-hmm. viable and mm-hmm. competitive, and we yeah. we can differentiate ourselves based on certain um, core capabilities and certain niches that we perform well on. Sure. Uh, I, by the way, in the Diecasters uh, Association, what is their membership? Being that there's been such a drop in uh, uh, number of diecasters in in North America, like how many companies are? Yeah, how many how many com- member member companies are there? I believe yeah. the North American Diecasting Association has somewhere around um, 250 or 300 diecasting companies as members. They also have many many individual members that, that, sure. that might work at a supplier company or what have you. But mm-hmm. there's there's both die-casting companies that are members, and there are suppliers to the die-casting industry, maybe raw material suppliers or tool right. makers and things like that that are that are members. So it, it's somewhere, I think, around three or 400 uh, members. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just curious. 
Uh, as with the forging industry, uh, there used to be, you know, 25 years ago, there were 1,500 forgers in the United States, mm-hmm. in, uh, North, in, in North America. Uh, now it's about 600. So uh, mm-hmm. it, it, is, it is diminishing, but a lot of the diminishment has to do with newer technology and newer types of ways of producing a part, many, many of which you know, went to casting that uh, due to the, the fact that the parts are cheaper. Right. Not necessarily as good, but it may have served the job anyway. <laughs> no, the castings, uh, you know, they're a little bit more porous. Uh, they don't have as much uh, uh, tensile properties as a, a forged product. So, it, But it depends on the application. If you don't need that kind of uh, uh, tensile properties and physical properties, the casting is a great way to go. Correct. Right. Did I sell it good there, uh, Eric? Yep. <laughs> okay. Eric, I'm just wondering because we hear a lot of chatter about uh, the factories coming back to America, uh, production being closer to the customer. Are you seeing a lot of new parts that you haven't seen before that you're quoting on? I don't know, Tim, if I would say a lot. I do believe that if we're going to use the R word, reshoring, that it, it is happening to some extent depending on uh, a, what industry you're talking about, and B, the size of the company who is looking to bring things back. So, for example, I think there are very large players that are so well entrenched and established in low-cost regions and have, and have figured out a model that works for them that they don't need to or have a desire to uh, bring things back to North America or to the United States specifically. But there are smaller companies that um, are currently located in the United States that maybe they were customers in the past and then we didn't see many new projects from them for any number of years. And now we are starting to see uh, new applications uh, coming to us that we're quoting on and that we're actually being awarded. And we hear a lot of uh, reasons why, you know, A, um, the cost differential is diminishing, specifically if you look at the comparison between wages in the United States and China, for example, where labor costs are going up. Uh, You look at uh, availability of product, which is, in in our opinion, it's the most important thing. It it trumps price and it even at times can can trump quality. If you don't have the product, then then there are no sales to be had at all. So um, when you're putting product on a a, a freight uh, container and and it's coming across the Pacific and it takes four to six weeks, that's a lot of time lost right there. And and there is is somewhat of a movement to, to be sourcing things locally uh, because mm-hmm. when you look at the whole picture and the, the you know the whole cost of the, the procurement process, how much is really being saved? So we are seeing it with some industries, but uh, as an example, you know our laptop computers or cell phones going to be ever made in the in the United States again? I, I can't envision that that'll happen. But other things, sure. That's one of the false dreams that we've been fed over the last eighteen months. Uh, Eric, you're really a, a refreshing conversation that here you're a manufacturer and you know so much about things that so many other people know nothing about, and I'm including uh, politicians and uh, perhaps other advocacy uh, 
advocacy groups going down the wrong way. That said, uh, they're all doing a great job. Uh, Again, I'd love to have you back because I think that there's a lot more inside that head of yours and experience that you've had that I think hearing it from uh, our audience, hearing it from a guy who's in the trench and, and, and is extremely knowledgeable on these topics, uh, I'd like we'd like to have you back. Um, well, I would I would welcome that opportunity, and and I and I would just like to to say that uh, because I am so blessed to have an amazing team here at Chicago White Metal, which does all the heavy lifting and allows me to get involved in these topics, which are some would consider outside of. Chicago White Metal and, and, and more on a national basis or looking outside and thinking about how we're, we're going to help educational institutions and how we're going to work with government. I couldn't do that if I, if I didn't have the team that we have here. So my hat's off to them, which allows me to do this, and I would gladly uh, welcome the opportunity to, to talk with Tim and you again in the future. Very good, and we welcome it. And uh, don't spend all the money that you're making on this passion of yours because <laughs> – there's not, not a lot of it, a lot of <laughs> emotional rewards, but don't don't look to the financial. <laughs> I'll, I'll take note of that, Lou. <laughs> All right. We'll get back <laughs> Eric, to you. Thank you very much. Tim? Thanks for being on the show. My pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you. We've been talking with Eric Triver, who's president and chief executive officer of Chicago White Metal Casting. And for those of you who are interested in that website, it is cwmdiecast.com. And you can find all the interesting things that they do in die casting in, uh, in aluminum, magnesium, zinc. Fascinating products. Interesting company to talk to. We appreciate Eric being on the show. Lou, that's kind of it for this segment. And, uh, um, I thought it was a terrific uh, a company to have on the show. Yeah, he really knows his stuff, and uh, uh, he's, he is an activist and an uh, advocate, and uh, these are the types of people that uh, we've been running into for the last three years that we're doing this show. Um, and, uh, you know, I tip, their, tip our hats to us and all of them. Yes, it's certainly uh, refreshing to have uh, manufacturers to talk to who are boots on the ground. And that kind of wraps up this segment. We will be right back with Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.